0: Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit seekingtruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, Sharon presents part one of the Gospel of Luke chapter one. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran hi everybody welcome to our study on Luke chapter 1 now there is something about Mary would you agree Yeah. yeah. there's something about Mary all right what is it about Mary well She was on the cover of National Geographic, Secular Magazine, October 2014, and the caption read, Mary, the most powerful woman in the world. And she's been dead over 2,000 years, and she's still considered by Secular Magazine the most powerful woman in all the world. Life Magazine, the, the classic edition, chose to put her on their cover as well. As did Time Magazine in 205, when it said the caption under there reads, Catholics have long revered her, but now Protestants are finding their own reasons to celebrate the Mother of Jesus. And it says, Hail hey, oh Mary. There's something about Mary. One thing we know is she sells magazines. The publishers say she sells out. When she's on the cover, they sell out. Why, I ask you, are two billion. Hail Marys prayed daily. Two billion Hail Marys prayed daily. Why did six million people, even many non-Catholics, visit the south of France and go to Lourdes this year alone to drink and bathe in the healing waters where Mary once appeared? Why did 10 million people travel to Guadalupe to see Our Lady in Mexico this year alone? Why are there more baby girls with the name of Mary than any other historical person ever? Hmm, there's something about Mary. This Flemish artist, Roger van der Wieden, in the 15th century, painted, he loved Mary, and he painted this beautiful picture of Mary. He painted Luke, painting Mary. We know Luke painted the first portrait, the first icon of Mary. And he has sketched the picture of Mary before he paints her, St. Luke painting Mary, and van der Wieden used his own face as St. Luke. He put his own face at St. Luke because he loved Luke and he loved Mary. The focal point is where your eye is drawn right into the middle. And what do you see there? You see two people, a man and a woman, and you see this beautiful river going into the infinity. That my friend is the river of life. The Spirit is the river of life. And those two people are Joachim and Anna, and they are the parents of Mary. Those are the waters of baptism, the river of life. And Anna and Joachim, who are infertile, are looking over the river to the endless river of life. And they're hoping for a baby. And Anna and Joachim, by the power of the Holy Spirit, have conceived a pure vessel. Her name is Mary. And in this painting, she's holding baby Jesus, and she's nursing him. Now, she's in an enclosed garden in this picture. Mary's in an enclosed, sealed garden eve was in an open garden totally open mary is in an enclosed garden why did van der Veden do that because an enclosed garden refers to mary's virgin purity a garden sealed is my sister my bride a garden locked a fountain sealed in the song of songs according to the prophet ezekiel who we studied not too long ago the only messianic lord king priest Only the Messianic Lord could enter through the eastern gate of the temple. Do you remember that? In Ezekiel 44, it's one of the names of Mary, the closed gate. When they brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary which faces east, it was shut. And he said to me, this gate shall remain shut, and it shall not be opened, and no one shall enter by it. For the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered by it. Therefore, it shall remain shut." A closed gate, a sealed garden, a closed gate. He says only the prince may sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by the way of the vestibule of the gate and shall go out by the same way. The Catholic Church teaches that the Blessed Virgin Mary is perpetually a virgin. She did not have relations with Joseph after Christ's birth. She's a closed gate, a fountain sealed, an enclosed garden. And in accordance with the prophecy of Ezekiel, no man shall enter by it. For the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered by it, therefore it shall remain shut. Joseph shall not enter the gate. God, the Holy Spirit, entered creation through her womb, and it was made holy in this profound mystery. The Prince, who is Jesus, sits in it, in the womb, in the enclosed garden, to eat bread before the Lord. Christ was nourished in the darkness of her womb, he takes on her own DNA he's fully God and fully man how did he get to be fully man fully human through her dna she contributes that to his personhood to his humanity to his human nature jesus gained from his mother mary her flesh and blood that he would offer back to the father on the cross one day and that he would offer to feed us his flesh from her dna (laughs) Only the prince may sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by the way of the vestibule of the gate and shall go out by the same gate. Jesus made a gateway back to the Father on the cross, and who was there at the foot of the cross never left his side, Mary, our lady of sorrows. God could have taken her a long time before this. She wouldn't have had to see this moment. She could have been spared from it, totally. But no, this is an important part. She stays with him to the end till the gateway to the Father is made. So coming in through the gate, Jesus Christ came through Mary, through that sealed gate. He is the Prince of Peace. He was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, and he will go out with Mary at his side. The deposition on the cross, he's laid in her arms, in and out of this world, both times. Always pointing to the supernatural bread of the Holy Eucharist, which is his own flesh and blood derived from her DNA. Amazing. Remember when Jacob had a dream in Genesis 28 and he saw a ladder, he was lying there asleep, he saw a ladder set upon the earth, that reached to the top heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on the ladder. Jesus, in John's Gospel, when he calls Nathanael as a disciple, he says, there's no duplicity in this one. And, and he said, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel's blown away. How do you know this? Oh, my gosh. And Jesus said, oh, you're going to see greater things than that, Nathaniel. Truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, I look at this ancient icon and see the origin of the ladder at the top jesus came through mary you see mary and baby jesus he's going to descend from heaven and he's going to ascend back up and he's going to come through mary the seat of wisdom and so we see that jesus came down through mary that we might go back up to the father our life is going to be a spiritual journey like a ladder one rung at a time and this good mama and the church with all her seven sacraments is going to help us step by step by step to get back up. Is it gonna be an easy climb? Uh Uh-uh. See the demons trying to pick off the people? Satan's mad. He doesn't want people getting back to the Father. He's mad he was duped at the cross. He's mad the gate to heaven got reopened. He's mad that the computer's working now. (laughs) So when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Blessed John Henry Newman said of this gate of heaven, it is given to Mary, this title, because it was through her that our Lord passed from heaven to earth. He comes through Mary. Now, that chair of St. Peter we talked about in Rome with the Holy Spirit above it and the four church doctors, I'm going to tell you some quotes from Ambrose and Augustine, fathers from the West. Ambrose said, Who is the gate in Ezekiel 44 if not Mary? It is the gate not closed, because she is a virgin. Mary is the gate through which Christ entered the world, and he was brought forth in the virginal womb, and the manner of his birth did not break the seal of virginity. Augustine writes this, it is written of Ezekiel 44, this gate shall be shut, it shall not be opened, and no man shall pass through it, because the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered by it. What means this gate closed in the house of the Lord, except that Mary is to be ever inviolate? What does it mean that no man shall ever pass through it, save that Joseph shall not know her? And what is it the Lord alone enters in and goes out of it, except by the Holy Ghost that impregnates her, and that the Lord of angels shall be born of her? And what does this mean, it shall be shut forevermore, but that Mary is a virgin before his birth, in his birth, and after his birth? The gate of heaven had been closed by our sin, It's shut for our protection till we can get mortal sin washed away. Jesus opens the gateway back to the Father and Mary is there all along. And see their two immaculate hearts burning the fire of love to burn down the gate that keeps us from the Father? The gateway has been opened and Mary is there all along because she loves her children. Every single person who's ever alive, she wants their soul in heaven with Jesus. That's the kind of mom she is. See her helping the little kids up the rung one at a time? Just like a good mama, the church still is and always will be the way that Jesus Christ established for us to go to heaven. Sacrament by sacrament by sacrament, our whole life through, Jesus came down through Mary that we might go back up to the heart of the Trinity to love. So this enclosed garden refers to Mary's purity. A garden locked, my sister, my bride, a garden locked, a fountain sealed i like this modern painting by this nun sister grace remington it's simple but it's another title of mary it's called mary the new eve now you see eve and mary and eve has eaten from the apple of death mary is life she's carrying life she's carrying life abundant life he came that we might have life and have it to the abundance and he's in her womb and on their feet eve is entangled with evil Mary has crushed the head of evil. She has her foot on the head of the snake. Mary, another title, she is the untier of knots. All the knots of disobedience that Eve got us into, Mary has untied. When your little kid moms come to you with their shoe all full of knots, and they say, Mom, can you get my knots out? And you say, just a minute, I'll go get a fork. (laughs) Mary untied all the knots that Eve got us into. Now only after the fall of mankind did Adam name her Eve. Did you know that? If you read Genesis carefully, it's only after the fall that she gets a name and he gets a name. Before the fall, he was man and she was woman, out from man, out of man, she had been drawn. And it was after the fall, it's not until the third chapter, verse 17, that God names him Adam and God gives him his name. You're Adam because you listen to your, the voice of your wife You've eaten from that tree that I commanded you, you should not eat of. Cursed is the ground. Not cursed are you, Adam, but cursed is the ground because of you. And in toil shall you eat of it all the days of your life. And to the woman, God didn't name her. To the woman, God said, I'm going to give you great pain in childbearing. In pain, you're going to bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, but he shall, what? Rule over you. Oh. Oh. That's a curse (gasps) because before that it was equal. They weren't even named. They were man and woman. They were totally equal. And after the fall, now man has dominion over woman. He had dominion over the animals. He named each one. Now he gets to name woman. God named Adam, Adam named woman. We're subject to man now, went ladies. That's why we have the march. (laughs) That's why everything's topsy-turvy. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. Eve means mother of all the living, but were her children really living? They think they are. They're physically living, but they're spiritually dead, because something died that day. They haven't quite figured it out yet. Just like magazines of Mary sell, books of Mary sell. People want to know their mama. They want to know their spiritual mother. Who is she? What did she do? This one I just ordered. I'm giving a plug for it because it's, it's Dr. Brad Petrie, and it's, it's The Jewish Roots of Mary. These books, I want to know who my mom is. The church fathers wanted to know who their mom was. This is nothing new. These authors didn't discover this stuff. This goes way back. Read the church fathers, the people closest to the scene. Starts with Justin Martyr. In 100 AD, he was already writing about Mary being the new Eve, making these connections that she's the untire of not. Saint Irenaeus wrote a beautiful treatise. I won't read all this to you, but he knew she was the new Eve. He said that angels whispered into both of their ears. Hers was the angel Lucifer, the bearer of light. He whispered right into her ear, you can't trust God. You can't trust God. <laughs> and the angel Gabriel came to Mary's ear today in this story. And he said, be not afraid. Well, Mary knew the scripture. She knew Psalm 56 that says, When I am afraid, I'll do what? I will trust in you. 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 Yes, yes, yes. I will trust you, Lord. St. Gregory the Wonderworker knew these connections. St. Ephraim writes beautiful stuff about Mary. Mary is the new Eve. She sprouts from a new vine. Eve is the old vine. Mary's the new vine. And she is going to be the one that will crush the head cooperate with Jesus it comes through her but she will help her son to the end so the foot of Mary has trod him down and bruised Eve with his heel death came through Eve life came through Mary said st. Jerome fourth century st. Augustine beautiful writings on Mary but one of my favorite of his on her virgin birth how could her virginity be intact it's a supernatural birth he said as light comes through glass Jesus came through Mary you know light doesn't break the glass when it goes through just like Jesus didn't break Mary when he went through she remained intact she remained ever virgin light he's the light of the world he's true light from true light and he passed through the glass of her womb just like he did on Easter night when he came through the locked doors and he just passed right through like light through glass he can do it he's God In this painting, back to the painting, Mary is nursing Jesus. Mary, the new Eve, is feeding Jesus the new Adam, just as the old Eve fed Adam. She fed him death. Mary feeds us life, abundant life. And humanity has been redeemed, but still humanity likes to eat. We like to eat a lot of chicken nuggets and junk food and fast food. The world feeds us junk. Mary feeds us the best the best the best oh another little detail of the painting you would never notice but on her chair this little finial on the chair it's a carving a little tiny carving of adam and eve and the serpent because he knew mary's the new eve he knew this artist knew mary's the new eve as did many artists when we look at these paintings of the annunciation of mary we'll see in the background who adam and eve This is the new Eve, this is the new Eve. To thee do we cry for the banished children of Eve because this new Eve has saved us with the gift of her son. (laughs) And so a lot of artists will have Adam and Eve in the scene of the Annunciation because they know that Mary is the new Eve and Jesus is the new Adam. St. Paul tells us that in Romans as well. So before Jesus came, it was just man and woman, back in Genesis, then they get named Adam and Eve by Adam, who's now ruling. So when Jesus in John 2 and Mary go to the wedding at Cana, something happens where Jesus calls her woman. Now, the minute you hear woman, that hails us right back to Genesis, because it was a title for Eve, woman, before she was Eve. And if you remember, when we studied John's gospel and we day counted, there's first four days that John records, day one, day two, day three, day four, then he says on the third day of the fourth day, they went to a wedding, and that's day seven. The third day after four days is day seven and you know seven is covenant perfection and on day seven they go to a wedding and the bride and groom aren't named they're the new bride and groom this is a new covenant, and he calls her woman so we're going back in our mind to Genesis he's the new Adam she's the new Eve when the wine failed the mother of Jesus said to him they have no wine and he looks at her and she looks at him the wines empty the wine has failed and he says, oh woman, what have you to do with me? And he calls her woman, way back to Genesis two. Oh woman, what have you to do with me? And in the Greek it's like, what is this between us? What is this between us? Mom, you know, if I do this, you know what the clock starts ticking. My hour has not yet come. It's a new creation, a new covenant, a new bride. He's gonna be the new Adam, she's gonna be the new Eve. But interesting in this marriage, he's our brother. He's our spiritual sibling. Christ is our brother. She is our mother. She's our sister in that she's a a daughter of Israel, a daughter of Zion, but she's the mother of Jesus Christ. And he's our brother, which makes her our spiritual mother as well. We know we're siblings with Jesus because when he rises, he says to Mary Magdalene, I'm ascending to my father and to your father. We got the same father. That means we're siblings. (laughs) To my God and to your God. So Mary at this new creation, this new Eve, tells us, do whatever he tells you. So there's a new bride, a new groom, a new covenant, and a new eternal wedding feast. And they're the couple. And it's a feast that will never run out, and the wine is never going to fail, and we'll get there one day to the wedding feast of the Lamb of God. St. Luke is the only one to tell us Mary's early story. Thank God he recorded this for us. He's also the first one to paint her. So we have an idea of what she really looked like because he painted her. Who is this book dedicated to? He dedicates it to most excellent Theophilus. Now that's an interesting, we don't really know who this guy is, but we know he's most excellent. And his name is Theophilus. And most excellent might be some type of government title because we see it when Paul goes on trial in Acts 24, he goes on trial before most excellent Felix and in Acts 26 he appears before most excellent Festus and so most excellent could be a military title but in the time of Jesus the Bible the Old Testament was in Koine Greek it's written in Greek so Jesus would have read a Bible quoted from a Bible written in the Greek language because the world had been Hellenized before it was Romanized and Theophilus in the Greek means friend of God lover of God or beloved of God so most Excellent Theophilus, this book is dedicated to, as is Acts, the sequel, Luke's Acts, is also dedicated to most excellent Theophilus. Now, we don't know if that's a real person, but it's written to every single one of us. You are a most excellent Theophilus. If you are a lover of God, if you're a beloved son or daughter of God, so you are a Theophilus, and it's written to you. It starts like this in Luke 1 verse 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judea. Now, if you're a Jewish person reading this already, you're, ah, Herod, they hate him. King of Judea, ah, we were Judah until the Romans came and changed the name of our province to Judea instead of Judah. We're the Lion of Judah, We're not, but our name's been changed by Rome, and we, ha- we can't stand Herod. He's a puppet king. He's not even one of us. He was ambitious, Herod the Great, cruel, paranoid. I could do a whole lecture just on Herod, and it's super interesting. But he was a person that really understood this period of Roman occupation, domination of the Jewish people, and he could play to both sides. He was a puppet king, and he is an Edomite. You remember what Edomites are? We know Edomites from Genesis, the first Edomite we know about is Esau. Rebekah had twins in her womb and she's like, ah, these twins are, two nations are at war within my womb. During her pregnancy, they were fighting, these two boys, these two brothers. Which one was born first? Jacob put his foot through, remember? He put his foot through, punched through, and then, The foot came back in, and then Esau got out first. So they were even warring in birth, you know? And and it's important which one is born first, because the firstborn, the firstborn son, gets the birthright and the blessing of the father. And so that's an important thing. You remember Esau sold his birthright for that bowl of soup. And you remember Jacob, the other son, by deceit, covered his arms with fur and went into blind old Isaac and stole the blessing from the father. So Jacob was called a deceiver or a supplanter, one who supplants. He tried to get his foot out first and supplant the birth. Now he's supplanted and taking the blessing and the birthright. And Rebekah knows that Esau is so mad. And she says, run, Jacob, run, run, run. And Esau is after him. And Israel is bothered by the Edomites all the way through history. And Herod, my friends, is an Edomite. Herod the Edomite will order, Herod the Great, ordered the slaying of the holy innocents, the first martyrs of the church, the babies that were killed because there might be a new king in town. And he slaughtered the babies, ripped them out of their mother's arms, and uh, those were the first Christian martyrs. He also heavily taxed the people. He had building projects galore, uh, relentless. And he was not in the royal line of King David. And Israel was under foreign occupation by Rome, so the people were just being taxed to death, and, and, and they were just crying crying out, when will Messiah come? When will Messiah come? They're just longing for Messiah, a savior, a redeemer, a king, someone. And the first gospel, Messiah was predicted immediately after the fall. In Genesis 3.15, it's called the Proto-Evangelium. It's the very first good news. It's immediately after they sin. God says, I will put enmity between you, Mr. Serpent, and the woman. And this was a virgin woman at the time. I'm going to put it between your seed, serpent, and her seed. The virgin woman's offspring is going to bruise your head, Mr. Serpent, and you are going to bruise her offspring's heel. This is a threat that Satan's going to have his head crushed by the offspring of a virgin woman. Oh, he's going to be watching for that. Any virgin that's pregnant, he's going to have his eyes ready. He's going to be waiting to devour that kid the moment it's birthed, says that in Revelation 12. We also know in Isaiah 7 that the Lord, Ahaz wants a sign, evil king Ahaz wants a sign. And Isaiah tells them, by the power of the Lord, the Lord himself is going to give you a sign. Behold, a young virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, virgins don't have children very often. So this would be a miraculous sign. They'll be watching for that. Then in Malachi 3, it says this, behold, I send my messenger to prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you speak will suddenly come to the temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Hmm. Malachi is the very, very last book of the Old Testament. It's the last prophet to speak and then it's going to be silent for over 400 years. They won't hear a word from the Lord. And so the famous last words of Malachi, the very, very final thing of his book and the end of the Old Testament are these words. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before that great and terrible day that the Lord comes. And he, this Elijah, will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. So all the Jews knew, everyone knew that Elijah has to come back before Messiah can come. Elijah has to come first. Elijah had gone up in a fiery chariot in 2 Kings 2. He was one who never faced death. He went up in this fiery chariot and threw his mantle down to Elisha. And a double portion of the spirit came upon Elisha. The Jewish people to this day at their Seder meals put out a place setting for Elijah. Maybe Elijah will come tonight. Elijah's got to come before Messiah. Maybe he'll come tonight. And the children run to the door and say, is it you, Elijah? He's come already. They missed it. They don't have to set a place for him anymore. Even Jesus Christ knew that when he said, Truly I say to you among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Who's that? Who's least in the kingdom of heaven that's greater than John the Baptist? Jesus is talking about himself. He's least. He's the most humble, the meekest The lowliest, he'll be exalted, he'll exalt the father by being nailed to a tree. But from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And men of violence have taken it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. And let him who have ears, let him hear. So Jesus Christ himself says that John the Baptist is Elijah. Oh, wow. Wow. That changes everything. If he's Elijah, then Messiah can come. So this little kid tonight, this little baby from this old ancient couple is the Elijah who is to come before Messiah. He's the forerunner to the Messiah. Now John the Baptist will be killed by another Herod boy, Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great. He will silence the greatest prophet of all time, John the Baptist. That was Part 1 of the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 1, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.